and that our conscious brains process information at a rate of 50 bits per second, while our subconscious brain is processing information at a rate of 11 million bits per second. So your partner doesn't hear what you say, they hear what you mean. Welcome to the Abundant Couples Podcast. We are your hosts, Cassidy and Matt. And we're here to help you, awesome growth-minded human, create the most flourishing relationship that you know is possible. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into topics of relationship, intimacy, and lifestyle freedom. We believe that a great relationship is fuel for everything else in your life. So let's jump in and get fueled up. Welcome back to the podcast. We've had a little bit of a break over the summer. We've been enjoying life here on Vancouver Island and doing a little bit of traveling as well. Um, Yeah, it was nice to have a break from the podcast and just enjoy the beautiful weather. And we're excited to be back. We have an awesome interview for you today. This interview is with Dr. Abby Metcalf, and I had so much fun with this conversation. I didn't want it to end. (laughs) I'll tell you a little bit about Abby Metcalf. She is a relationship maven. She's a psychologist, author, podcast host, and TEDx speaker who has helped thousands of people think differently so they can create connection, ease, and joy in their relationships, especially the one with yourself. With her unique background in both business and counseling, she brings a fresh, effective perspective to life's struggles using humor and her direct, no-nonsense style. With over 30 years of experience, Abby is a recognized authority and sought-after speaker at organizations such as Google, Apple, AT&T, and more. She's been a featured expert on CBS and ABC News, and has been a contributor to HuffPost, Women's Health, and Bustle. She's the author of the number one Amazon best-selling book, Be Happily Married Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing, and the host of the top-rated Relationships Made Easy podcast. Her new book and program, Negative Thinking Sucks and Not in a Good Way, will be out soon. So in this episode, we cover a whole lot of ground. We talk about the number one reason relationships fail. We talk about the danger of keeping score and competition in relationship, how to keep your relationship fresh, embracing change, overcoming fear, managing resources like time and money in a relationship, how the reticular activating system in your brain and the subconscious mind impact your relationship, the power of intention setting, attachment styles, unconditional acceptance, and a whole lot more. She also gives us a great habit to implement at the end of the episode, so definitely stay tuned for that. Alrighty, let's get to it. Enjoy. Welcome to the show. We've got Dr. Abby Metcalf here today. I'm so excited to talk with you, Abby. Thanks for coming. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. It's going to be great. I'm really excited for this conversation because after perusing your website and your blog, your podcast, which um, I'll link all Mm -hmm. that stuff in the bio, of course, um, and watching your TEDx talk, I 
love that you focus so much on the things that keep us stuck unconsciously. Yeah. And how we can become aware of those things and move past them in our relationship. So I'm excited to dive into all things subconscious with you today. <laughs> My favorite, yay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And of course, starting with um, the subject of your TEDx talk, which I think is a very intriguing one, which is the number one reason that relationships fail. Yeah. So let's dive in dive, there. Dive in. Well, you know, I've been doing this um, a little over 35 years now. It's been a really long time. And, you know, very consistently when I worked in business or when I work with individuals or couples, pretty much no matter where you are, when I ask, hey, what what can I help you with? What What's your problem? What's going on? I'd say 99.9% .9 of people answer communication. They say, we're not communicating or we need to communicate better or, and I don't feel heard, I, all the things. And so they focus on getting communication skills and I can give anyone lots of good communication skills. The problem is the, there's a reason they don't work. There's, there's something below that. It's sort of like treating a symptom and not the actual like cancer, you know, just treating a top symptom. So it keeps coming back. And the real issue uh, and there doesn't need to be a drum roll, you know, is uh, competition. That's the real issue I see in my clients, like over and over and over. And once I fixed it in my own relationship, and I should say relationships, it shows up with siblings and parents and friends and everywhere else. Once I fix that um, and continue to, you know, you're never done. But And once I really started helping clients and really got clear on how to do that, uh, the game just really changes. Everything sort of flips. And we are, all of us really in, like indoctrinated. We're fish that don't know we're wet. You know, we grow up hearing things like, you know, you need to pull your weight around here and you're not doing your fair share. And then we end up saying that in our own, right, relationships and in our own couple. And it's it's completely the wrong way to look at things. And uh, one of the jokes I make in the, in the TEDx, which I, which comes up a lot is that, you know, it's your turn to put away the dishes thing. Uh, it's your, I took Sophie to baseball on Monday. It's your turn to take little Jack on Friday to piano. You know, we, we start to, as a couple, especially when you have kids, but even before we start to divide everything. Well, I do this. So you have to do that. You know, you went out with your friends on Friday. I'm going to go out with my friends on Saturday. There's all this idea of this like fair, equitable 50, 50, and it's such crap. And it's really what gets in the way because we start keeping score. You know, I start looking at everything you're doing and I start comparing it to everything I'm doing. And of course, I'm always doing more than you. And both sides think that, by the way, the research shows that yeah. everybody <laughs> thinks they do more, which is so funny. So right away, everyone thinks they're losing. Everyone thinks it's unfair. Everyone, and obviously that's a problem. And when you start building on that, you know, it's, it gets very fear-based. This like, someone's going to take advantage of me. Uh, they're, they, they're, you know, he's treating me like the maid. She thinks, you know, I, I'm not good for anything except these, this honeydew list or whatever they call it, you know, this list of things. She's always nagging me. And we start getting into that. Um, and you can't base a love relationship on fear and all that fear-based stuff just starts to eat away. And the really big problem is that I can't be happy for your wins. 
because to mm-hmm. me, it means it's taking away from me. So, oh, wow, your friend is visiting from college. You haven't seen him in, in eight years. Oh, that means less. I get less. Oh, I'm going to be stuck at home taking care of the kids. Or I'm not going to have anything to do on a Saturday night now. You're going to be out having fun without me. Like I should have fun now. You know, we're not happy for them. It's it's kind of terrible. And so that's what, and think about that, not being happy for your partner. I mean, it's it's a terrible thing. Mm. We should be thrilled when good things happen for them, right? Not upset. Yes, totally. Yeah. So many amazing things there to unpack over the course of this conversation. Um, but just that mindset shift, I think, is huge. And I can remember earlier, early on in our relationship, um, there wasn't a very strong sense of competition happening, but I can remember one conversation where all of a sudden Matt brought up a couple of things that had happened previously that I didn't think were an issue and this kind of like keeping score, right? And I was like, whoa, (laughs) where did did this come from? But thankfully we recognized that pretty quick because I was like, that didn't feel very good. Yeah. And let's kind of see how we can change this yeah. dynamic. So, and and I want to take responsibility. There obviously was some of my part in that as well. Oh, so yeah. it wasn't just a mad thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's always two-sided. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thankfully we recognized it early and were able to go, okay, none of that, no more keeping score. And like you said, I love that you said right off the bat that it's not a one and done thing. It's a lifelong practice, right? It's not just doing this work once and then you're set for life just with anything. Yes. Um, So yeah, definitely. Although when you have that paradigm shift, much easier to to not fall into keeping score, but definitely something we have to check in with Mm -hmm. regularly. Well, and you're always re-upping in your relationship. I mean, you guys, I think I remember like high school sweethearts, right? I mean, you've been together. Yeah. yeah. So think about that, how much you grow and change. So it makes sense that as you finish college or get new jobs or have kids or, you know, buy a house or as you do these things, it's, I always think I'm re-upping in my relationship. You know, I'm like, I'm saying again, yes, I'm committed to you at this level now. Okay, now we're going yeah. here and now we're, and things change. And so, yeah, something will come up that I thought I had handled. And that new situation will tweak something old and, you know, sort of bring that to the surface. So, yeah, having that idea that we're, and I don't want to say even working on things. That makes it sound like it's such a labor in our relationships. We're um, we're always improving. We're always getting to the next level. You know, it's, it's, it's never done. And that's the beauty of it too, that you don't know, especially when you've been together a long time. What a wonderful thing to think, I don't even know this person completely. Like there's all these things still to find out. And for them to find out about me, that's how you keep a relationship fresh and wonderful, not in all that, you know, gunk of stuckness. So you can see it as such a like fun, exciting thing coming your way, not just like, oh, I got to work on this some more. Uh, But yeah, get to keep exploring and opening up and finding new ways of being in the world. Really cool. I love that. Yeah. And that's been our approach is like, I get to discover you fresh every day because we are always changing. You know, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people fear change and especially in their relationship, like, 
oh no, if you start growing and changing and exploring things that you're interested in, like, are you going to not need me anymore? Are, mm-hmm. You know? Yep. But so think of that it's fear again, right? Yeah. So now I'm afraid. So what, I'm going to hang on to you because I'm afraid? Like, again, that you can't base a love relationship on fear-based emotions. So that's when things actually start to break apart, when partners don't allow their partners to go out and have, you know, do these things, explore something new, take up a new hobby. They're seeing it again. It's that competition is a loss for me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm having less time. There's less resources for me, like maybe money. There's you, this opportunity that you might find someone else there. I mean, all this fear. And again, it's very competition based. Like I'm competing with, I don't know, other women for my you know husband's affection or something. It's, it's gets really crazy. And so you just, again, having this other mindset where you come out of that and you're always looking to uplift each other because you're a shared resource. So every time your partner has a win, it's a win for you. If, you know, think about even something simple, if they're making more money, there's more money in the relationship. Great. You know, if, if they're bringing in, I don't know, some new ha- uh, hobby, that's something else the relationship is interested in. And it doesn't mean, you know, my Gary loves these, uh, my Gary, he loves these Spartan races. You know, these are these like obstacle course races. Yeah. Race. Oh, have yeah. you? Oh, it's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're we're going to be in Monterey next week. So uh, oh, nice. there's like a sprint and a super anyway. So, you know, all the language. So he loves Spartan <laughs> stuff. I'm wearing stiletto heels right now. I don't. This is not yeah. my jam. I don't like being in the middle of nowhere. I'm a city girl. I It's not my thing. But I'm a Gary fan. So I go to the races. I, you know, fill the bathtub with ice after a beast. You know, I go get Gatorade and I have the stuff ready and I go with him. I do work and stuff while he's out racing. Like I... I watch the videos of people on, you know, doing the rig or something and he's talking about, he'll talk about it forever, you know, and I'm engaged. I'm actively engaged in these conversations. So it's not like you have to go like do all the things. And there's, trust me, I've been to some of the races. There's a lot of women, you know, flirting with him. I watched, you know, he's in the, we're old. So we're in, he's in like the over 40 thing. It's part of Spartan 4.0. And there's a lot of women, I watch them post in the Facebook group, you know, with very little clothing, because obviously it's a great place to meet people who have an interest like you do. But there's no part of me thinking, oh, he's going to find a Spartan gal to <laughs> like leave. And if he does, then good. That's great. Good for him. Like maybe that was something he needs next. I can't hang on to, you know what I mean? I can't not have him do this thing because I have to hang on to this fear that he might find someone else. It's we get, but I don't share this interest with him in any other way. I don't go do it with him. And there's still no reason to be jealous or insecure about it. Right. And yeah. there's still a way to support. And he is, I put it, I put a picture of him going over the fire jump, jumping over the fire jump in one of my newsletters once. Cause I was talking about how I'm watching him in pure joy. He loves it. And it's joyous for him. And that makes me really happy whether or not I like this thing or not. And that, that he brings that to our relationship and it makes it better. So there you go. Sorry. I went off on a little tangent, but you get the idea. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And there are a lot of things I think earlier in our relationship, um, we did a lot more things together and and it was fun, right? I think mostly just because we just wanted to be together all the time, <laughs> you know, awesome. Um, and over time we've become very okay with having, 
different interests that we're each not involved in. And we encourage each other to do those things because, you know, when I encourage you, yeah, go mountain biking. That sounds awesome. Do it. And I don't need to go. That's fine. Mountain biking, not my thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then he comes back, he's all charged up. I get a more fully alive, more fully charged up partner. It's a win for both of us. So I love, love, love this idea of the shared resource. And I think you made the analogy in your talk about, um, you know, that we're on one plate. Yes. Because the idea of I need to get something off my plate. Yep. And yeah, I want to talk about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is probably the biggest that we very naturally in a relationship, when something comes in that we have to do, you know, something else we have to do, we look to our partner immediately. Oh, this thing has to happen. Let me look to you. First person I'm looking to. And the thing people, and, and we say things like, well, I need you to take this off my plate. But what we're missing is that we don't have separate plates from our partners. <laughs> it's one plate. So you are like moving around the mashed potatoes. You know, you're, you're not taking something off your plate if it adds to your partner's stress. So, and you know, everyone's doing the best they can with the resources they have. I need to say that too. And if you don't believe that, then that's a problem, but that is exactly it. So if your partner, he, and I'm going to say he, like, um, you know, that's a heterosexual relationship, right? I'm in it. And he, he is doing the best he can. He is. So maybe he doesn't do as much as me because his capacity is different, or maybe what he does is less, but it has different value for me. It's very valuable to me what he's doing. So it doesn't matter that it's not as much time as I put in. That's again, why you don't compare because you can't compare like, it's it's not even apples and oranges. Sometimes it's like apples and gorillas. You know, it's just so far yeah. apart <laughs> that you can't compare the value of making me feel safe and loved and cherished. How do you quantify that? Right? How would I check that off a list? And so, yeah, I do more grocery shopping and cooking. And I'm like, there's no, you just have to decide what your thing is. But but having said that, we, we do this a lot. So we give things to our partners and we say, all right, take this off my plate. What I want people to do, everyone listening, is every time you have something new that needs to like, quote unquote, get done, I want you to think of, instead of just immediately looking to your partner, think about adding or subtracting. So you either decide, subtract, you think, you know what? maybe we don't need to add that to our plate at all. I know it'd be nice. I know I'd like to, but I we're going to a like a potluck thing soon and I love to cook and usually I make like 20 dishes because I, I love it. <laughs> and, and you know what? Like maybe I can make one. I get that it'd be nice to do all this and maybe I even promised I would do that, but guess what? I can call and go, you know what? I can only bring the one thing. You know, I can take something off the board or not go at all. Decide I don't really like these people and I'm not even going to go. I'm not going to use my time that way, whatever. Yeah. Or you can't, so you can take things off your kid. If you have kids, they don't need to be, you know, maybe in a language and two sports and, a, you know, whatever, like you can take something away or you can add a resource from outside the couple. And so easy things are like a cleaning person or someone to mow the lawn or, you know, whatever, walk your dog. Uh, I have a kid down the block who cleans up the dog poop at my house. Like nice. None of us want to do it. Nobody wants to do it. So yes, it's correct that my children should go pick up dog poop. Yeah. It's, that's why you have children to pick up the dog poop. Everyone knows that. (laughs) Um, But if I'm going to be fighting about it all the time and nagging or stepping in it when I'm in the backyard, guess what? I, I'm going to pay Mario, who's so cute, who's our little neighbor. I'm going to pay him, you know, 
five bucks a week to go pick up the dog poop. And he's very happy about it. I don't know what to say. Like figure it out, you know, just it, it's so we get very caught up in what's right. What's, you know, it should happen. You know, you should do this thing. And I say a lot, do you want to be correct or effective? Mm-hmm. You know, you can be correct that that's the right thing. My children should do this or my husband should do this thing, but is it effective? Am I having a happy, joyous, connected relationship? And if I'm not, then maybe I need to look at my strategy, right? I need to look at that differently. And if you don't have money, you can barter. You can. There's lots of ways to add resources. You can ask, you know, a mother-in-law or, a, you know, a sister-in-law or a neighbor, uh, anything, really get creative, but stop just immediately, you know, knee-jerk reaction looking to your partner when there's something that has to happen. Just, I'm telling you, your life will change. Your life will change for the better. And you will, I've never had a couple come back and go, well, that was just horrible. I hate that we have a cleaning person now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've only had people come back and be so happy. And you know, it's really interesting. And this happened not long ago. I had a couple who were paying for me and I'm not inexpensive. And uh, he works full time. She does not. And he was refusing to get a cleaning person. Just saying, you're not working. Like, what else are you doing at home? Like, you should be, you know, he just felt it. And they had money. They had plenty of money for it. It wasn't like a plenty, but they had money to do this. And I said, it's interesting that you'll pay me. And, you know, a cleaning person is less than I am, just so you know. Less money. (laughs) I would suggest yeah. you go do that. You could have a cleaning person every week for what you pay for me. So it's your choice, you know? And again, you're it's correct or effective. You're having these arguments, you know, but he was into like fair, what he thought was fair and equitable or whatever. And, you know, and again, you get so caught up in that that you're totally missing the point. You're you're totally missing what you're doing. And you know, the same person, the same man was complaining that she didn't want to, wasn't having sex often enough and things like that. And I was like, would you rather have blowjobs or a cleaning lady? You know, it's your choice. Like you, <laughs> I'd like to spend your resources, but her brain, you know, she's feeling resentful with you and angry and you are with her. How are you expecting to have great sex out of that? Like, where are you thinking that's going to come from? So again, get over yourself and think, I married this person. I love them. They're telling me they need more help. Why isn't that just enough? Mm-hmm. Why is there any other justification needed? And if you hate your job or something, then maybe you guys together can decide how you get a new job. And he doesn't hate his job, by the way, he loves it. So it's like, what what am I missing? You know, but again, we get yeah. very caught up into like what's even, what's fair. And it's never fair. If you yeah. use that, because what's your right? What are you comparing? Yeah, how can you ever really measure? And this I actually I've seen there's kind of a trend around, you know, looking at the ways that we labor that go unnoticed and kind of tallying up. So I've seen this a few times, like, here's your checklist, tally up all the things you do. And I understand the purpose. And I think it's a great purpose to get us to recognize all the ways we expend our energy that create value that aren't necessarily paid for or obvious. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. But it's still acting within the paradigm of competition. It's like, let me prove to you all these things that I'm doing. And now you can understand that I am doing just as much as you. But we're still in, you know, that might create a slight shift. It might create a little bit of understanding, a -hmm. temporary fix, right? Yep. But, you know, until we can recognize that we're not competing 
it's, it's going to, things are going to go right back to how they were. Yeah. I love that you're bringing that up because I've actually had couples do that. And I have certainly, um, it wasn't that long ago, actually, I had a, a, he got up in the night with his sick kid, you know, a kid had a fever and he, and in a couple session, he was sort of arguing that like I work all day and I was up with Johnny, you know, last night. And I so I said to him, did you give Johnny medicine? And he said, yeah, I did. I gave him Tylenol. And I sat, I said, where did you buy the Tylenol? He said, well, no. I said, did you know where the Tylenol was? The children's Tylenol? He said, well, no, I had to ask. I said, uh-huh. I said, was there like a thermometer in the house? Did you buy that? You know, I sort of helped him. I did. I spent a minute just sort of helping him see what I said. Have you ever run out of toilet paper in your house? Have you ever reached for a a tissue and it wasn't there? Have you ever not had paper towels? You know, and he was sort of laughing. He, He got it a little bit. But yeah, spending a lot of time there, though, you're totally right. It's like shifting the, you know, deck chairs on the Titanic kind of thing. It's not really getting us out of that pool somewhere else. Because what I, what I do instead is I like this guy with the cleaning person, not wanting, I said to him, do you not trust your wife? Do you think she's home? I don't know with her feet up all day. And if she was, would that really bother you? If she was happy and in a good mood when you came home, (laughs) you know, like, and yeah, just like, Whoa, what can I do for you? And you know, he had to stop again. It's sort of like getting people to really think about what they're thinking about. Like, what do you think she's doing? Like, really? Do you, I mean, I want to know. Do you do you think? And let's say she is poor with time. Let's say she doesn't use her time well. Okay. Now we're here. So now what? Like, not everybody's going to be type A like you and be able to get stuff done like you. So what is the thing? Like, what are you really worried about? And I, I'd say a lot, don't argue about anything that you could hire someone for. Meaning, I didn't, you know, I... You know, I didn't marry my husband because he mows the lawn well. Like, that's not something yeah. you marry someone for. So why are you arguing about that? You you didn't marry her because, I, that's why I said to him, I said, you didn't marry her because she cleans the house so well. Why did you marry her? And he said, well, you know, she had the schwa de vie and she was so fun. You know, he was talking about all the things. I was like, that has nothing to do. So what what are you really complaining about? Why are we talking about her not having a cleaning person? What on earth does that have to do with this? And he, he finally really got it. He, you know, but it takes a minute because we are so, we again are fish that don't know we're wet. We are like so inculcated in this other culture and we so miss all the good stuff because we're so caught up in our fear-based reactions that we're getting taken advantage of and that, you know, someone's getting over on us somehow. And this is this person you love that you're building a life with, that you're, Oh my gosh, how are we worried about that? How is that what's out front? Mm-hmm. So if you were worried about that when you got married, you shouldn't have gotten married. I don't know what to say. Like this isn't your person maybe. Mm-hmm. But if you're in this relationship and you're deep and whatever, uh, hello, let's let's get on the same page a little bit. And that's really why I talk to people so much about this topic. Mm-hmm. That you can talk all day. I can give you great skills to communicate, to listen better, to, you know, say the words differently. But if underneath I think this person's out to get me. There's no trust. What what are we doing? Exactly. So so that's really the key. Yeah, and recognizing that we're different people. We have different strengths, we have different, you know, interests. We and if we are doing something that really drains our energy that we don't enjoy just because 
we think we're supposed to in this relationship, we think it's what's fair or what's expected, then what, you know, like you're saying, what kind of relationship is that? Um, That's, you know, for us, we over time came to a point when we realized like, you know, Matt really enjoys, we created a business together, right? We created a real estate business together and we had fun doing it. We learned a lot. It was a great experience. And it got to a certain point where for me, it felt so draining. And I one day just kind of had a bit of a breakdown, like, you know, crying and just like, yeah, I'm, I'm so tired. I don't like this. I'm overwhelmed, you know, just it's too much. And, and it, I so clearly remember this moment because Matt just held me and said, you don't have to do anything like nothing. I love you know, I got this. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. And that totally shifted things. And, you know, there was some reworking we had to do in our business. It was a process of kind of shifting things around. But now Matt runs our real estate business. Right. I contribute sometimes. I am a sounding board. We come up with ideas together because those are the things that are fun for me. But Mm -hmm. he enjoys running that business. He enjoys being solely responsible for it. He And he is always encouraging me, do whatever is going to make you feel charged up. And with no expectation of what that looks like, you know, Maybe that will look like some kind of work that produces an income, but maybe it won't. And and it's funny, but how deep the conditioning goes, right? Because even though he makes that abundantly clear and he's always telling me like, no expectation, do what, you know, do what's making you feel good. Even though I know that there's still part of me sometimes it's like, hmm, shouldn't you be doing this or shouldn't you be doing this or, you know? So yep. that conditioning really runs deep. Um, yep. Especially for women, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to say, we just are built even, you know, sometimes I like to think for a while, I think I was thinking, oh, it's just my generation. You know, I'm sort of out of that generation of, um, you know, women being at home. And, you know, I I was one of the first female classes at Columbia. Like there weren't females at Ivy League institutions and you couldn't have a credit card when I was born if you were a female. Like, you know, I it's in my lifetime and I'm not that old, you know, it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So I son, I would think that and then I realized because I work with 20-somethings, they have it too. These young women are thinking they, certainly there's like more, a more liberated thing and a more idea of what quote unquote should be, but they still feel shame in this internalized shame. Like we're supposed to give, that's our job. And if we're not giving, then, you know, we're selfish and we're, you know, not doing it right. And really they're just saying that to be nice. And really I should be doing this other thing. It's, it's real. It's going to take, I think a lot longer for women to truly be in a different place. You know, it's interesting, the research I was doing a podcast on uh, communication styles between men and women, you know, that kind of, it's going to come out soon. And I was really looking at the research around it. And, you know, men do speak more than women. Men will interrupt women uh, by a much greater extent than women will interrupt men or that women will interrupt anybody, even other women. Uh, men will talk longer than women about things to explain things. When, I mean, it goes on and on. You know, men 
do feel, and I grew up with older brothers. I remember this and all their friends, you know, men just do have this way of being in the world where they take up space and don't apologize for it. Mm -hmm. And we as women are often trying to justify, you know, here's why. So I, I wasn't working for the business, but I was doing these things. You know, we, we start, we, we know we'll start explaining ourselves and justifying, or if we say no, God forbid, and there's a whole thing behind it. I have really been practicing for a while now. And I, and I help my daughter with this just to say no. Yeah. Yeah. No, I we can't do that. Yeah. Sounds easy. That's it. <laughs> Silence after like, that's it. No, it's a complete sentence. And you can see people waiting and I, I can't, I watch it. They'll sort of, yeah, no, I can't do it that day. No, I can't. I can't. I just had this recently. There's a auction. There's going to be a new auction at my kid's school, you know, raise money. And the, I got it. And I said, oh, you know, I, I can't do it. I can't be on the committee. I didn't say, why I'm so busy. I got this. I got that. I used to just give the paragraph of what it's like, I can just say no. Yeah. Your choice is enough of a reason. <laughs> enough of a reason. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I watch men do it all the time. Mm -hmm. I, I work in business with men. I've seen my own. They say no all the time. They go, no, yeah, I can't make that. That's it. And that's all they say. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I really encourage us as women, yes, to just to, to, and I know it's a little off topic, but to really remember that our value is whatever we ascribe to it, mm -hmm. not what other people are ascribing to it. And so as long as, you know, and that is your own thing, you know, why are you working so hard? Why are you doing all the things, you know, where, where is that for you? I like to cook for my family. It brings me joy. I, it does. I, I love to cook. My dad was a chef, blah, blah, blah. I do not like cleaning toilets for my family. And I do not do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so We're I do put in a lot of hours, <laughs> right? I put in a lot of hours cooking. I put in a lot of hours shopping and I love it. And I do see it by the way. Sometimes it's a drag, you know, sometimes it's wearing on me, but most of the time I, I realize I'm doing it. It's service and it's, mm -hmm. it makes my family happy. It brings us together, it brings closeness and love. If food is love to me without a doubt. And I just lean into that, but I lean out of the things that I used to think I had to do because, and now can feel like I don't, I don't actually have to do those things. And there is pressure, you know, eventually when you have kids and do other things, if you do to, well, it's pressure to have kids, but there, to, uh, you know, volunteer, to be in the classroom, the first day of school, I am that mom on the first day of school. Who's like, you know, tuck and roll out of the car. I, I got to go to work. So I'm like, okay, bye. Have a good day. See ya. You know, I'm not that mom walking their kids to school, waiting in the class, doing whatever. I never have been. I don't, I don't have one first day of school picture. And I live in kind of a small community here in the right outside San Francisco where everybody posts on, you know, Instagram, like first day of school every year for the last 12 years. And I got nothing. And, you know, it can feel hard for a minute. Like I'm not doing it right. And then you have to just come back and, you know, know for yourself that it is okay. Whatever you're doing is totally fine and has value and worth. There you go. Sorry. Didn't mean to go off in the soapbox. Again. No, I love it. And I think it is, it is totally related, right? Because if it sounds like when we're talking about our resources and being a shared resource and, um, you know, the expectations around who's doing what. 
it sounds like it comes a lot down to alignment, like personal alignment and knowing what are the things that are, that I want in my life and what are the things that I don't. And if we can have that alignment as each of us individually have that and have that alignment as a couple, then I think the conversation around uh, who's doing what and being a shared resource becomes a lot easier. We have a lot more clarity um, if we know why we're doing the things we're doing and we aren't just doing the things we think we should be, right? Uh And you know how you know, Mm -hmm. by the way, if you're in alignment, is how you feel. Oh, yeah. I say this all the time. We do not pay enough attention to how we feel. We don't. We we pay attention to everything else except, and how you feel is the only thing you should be thinking about. How do I feel? Not, I'm not saying, do I want to do that or not? I'm saying, how do you feel? So, and you think the way you feel. So, you know, as soon as you notice your your feeling, it's very easy then to say like, you know, maybe you were, maybe Matt's talking about the business or something and you notice yourself feeling a little anxious and you might go, why am I feeling a little anxious? And then you can look up to the thought and go, oh, I feel like I should be doing more. Oh, I feel, and it's so great. Cause then from there you can actually talk to talk yourself off the, off the ledge. It's like, oh no, no, that's okay. That's old crap. I don't need to do that. Let me just get in the moment. Let me get back to him. What's he doing? What can I focus on? How you feel, there is nothing more important. And I will tell you this, <laughs> I talk about it a lot. You can plan your feelings. And it's so funny to me. We plan everything, right? I plan to be here today with you. We, we were emailing back and forth and sending things. I have a plan on my clients. You know, we plan, we plan big days. We, we plan all kinds of stuff. And the most important thing you could plan would be your feelings. And I so I, and you do that by setting intention. So I plan my feelings all the time. I Before I got on the call right now with you, before we came on, I jumped around my office for a minute to get my energy up because we're sitting. And I really set intention. I was like, I want to be really helpful. I want to be of service. I want to make sure every single person listening walks away with like one thing they could do. Like, oh, that was good. I'm going to do that one thing. That's always my, I'm like, ah. Oh. And I come in and that's the energy I sit here with. And, you know, my brain just stays there. And when I leave here, I will set intention before I see my kids and I will set intention before every client. It, I've timed it. It takes 18 seconds. I call it the 18 second shift because it, it's an average. It's all it is. So over the course of a day, I don't know, is that three minutes maybe over the course of a day, but I'm planning my feelings. I'm planning how I'm going to enter a meeting, how I'm going to enter a room, how I'm going to be. And that is how... I stay because I get asked a lot, well, you know, it, you seem like you're in a good mood a lot or that kind of thing. And obviously I get upset like everyone else, but I'm able to come back to that home. The homeostasis should be, I would say even joyous, but at the very least content. Yeah. And that's really where we're meant to be. I use the word re- replete a lot. It's a great mm, word. Good word. And if you look at like, the definition is like that you're full, you're full, you're chock full, you're brimming with something. Mm. It's like, what is that something? That's up to you. But, you know, I like to have that feeling of being replete. I feel I love full. that. I feel right there. Yeah. I love this word. I'm like, I love this word. Replete. I love that. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. And, you know, I love that idea. And that's something I do as well. Both of us do the same thing. I did the same thing as you right before this podcast call. I jumped around a little bit and I sat down, took a few deep breaths, visualized Mm -hmm. myself being on the call. What do I want to be? I want to be, you know, same thing that you did. How do I want to feel during this call? And Mm -hmm. 
I could not agree more that our feelings are so important and given not enough attention. Um, It's funny, we were just interviewed on a podcast that is about real estate investing recently. Mm -hmm. And we were aware that the general vibe of the podcast and generally what would be expected in the conversation was mostly about real estate investing, what problems have you faced and how have you overcome them? We're like, okay, cool. We could talk about our problems in real estate, but every real estate investor has basically faced some form or other of the same general kinds of problems. What is it that is really behind how we approach our business and how we face those? And the conversation ended up centering largely around feelings. And one of the hosts, she was like, I love that we're talking about feelings. Like, you know, we need to talk about feelings more because it's a real estate investing podcast. Of course, you don't get a lot of talk about feelings, but man, our feelings are our compass and our teacher. And, you know, the first, if we can really learn to listen to our bodies and pay attention to our feelings, we can we can pick up things very quickly before, especially in a relationship, before they yep. turn into big problems, a big blow up that you're like, whoa, where mm-hmm. did this come from? If we're paying attention mm-hmm. to our bodies, then we notice as soon as something's a little bit off and then we can well, just smooth that over. And that is so from a biological perspective that I talk about a lot because you know a lot of this I learned sort of spiritually in my work. And then when I, I'm really into brain chemistry and how that all works and our, how our brains are operate. And when I learned the, the physiology of it, I was so excited because I thought, oh, it's actually a thing. It's not just some woo <laughs> sort of made up spiritual idea. And there's really, um, there's two things that feed into this very heavily. One is something which you, you probably know about you, called your reticular activating system or your RAS for short, right? Mm-hmm. And this RAS is this filter between your conscious and your subconscious. And you are always, whatever you consciously think about, your RAS is this conduit that sends it to your subconscious to, as an instruction or an order to look for that thing. So if I'm saying, oh, my husband's always nagging me, my, right. My, the RAS sends that as an order to my subconscious to look for my husband nagging me and I will find it all the time. I will, it's also part of a confirmation bias. I will prove myself right, left Mm -hmm. and right. And I tell people the easiest way to know that your RAS is working is if you've ever, ever thought of getting a new car, even thought of it, you don't have to buy it. If you're thinking about gray BMWs, you know, like, oh, I like this car. You're going to see it everywhere. It's going to be everywhere you look. It's going to seem like they're making great BMWs. And that's because you consciously thought this and it sent it, you know, down. And what's particularly scary about your RAS is that it will filter out anything that doesn't match because the brain doesn't need that. So when your partner is being kind, loving, supportive, generous, saying thank you, appreciative, your RAS will ignore it. If you're not consciously thinking that's who they are, it'll send it away. And this is, I can't tell you how many couples I've had had together. And she's like, you don't appreciate me. And he's like, I, I said, thank you yesterday for dinner. I did this. I did that. You know, he's listing again, we're keeping score, but he's listing all the ways that he's appreciative. And she's just, you didn't mean that when you said that, or I didn't hear that, or this didn't happen, or yeah, you did that once. And it's like, and then of course he thinks no matter what I do, it's not enough. 
Mm-hmm. It's not enough. I'm not going to bother. And, and we get so caught up in that. And the other piece is something I talked about in the, in the TEDx, I think, um, which is the work of uh, uh, Timothy Wilson, and that our conscious brains process information at a rate of 50 bits per second, while our subconscious brain is processing information at a rate of 11 million bits per second. Wow. So you're, uh, it's really a scary number. So your partner doesn't hear what you say. They hear what you mean. And I will tell you what happens all the time for me is that somebody will come to me, even on their own, uh, and want to work on their relationship because I do that a lot. And I'll say, okay, here's this tool, maybe like setting intention, like go set intention really every time before you see your partner, do this thing. And they'll leave my office very excited and inspired, like, okay, I got this. I'm going to do this thing. It's going to be great. And then somewhere on the drive home or the Zoom home or whatever it might be, the doubt is there. Oh, we've tried things before and they haven't worked. We always go back to the way things were. You know, they only work for a little time or that is so simple. It's not going to work for us. Our, our problems are big. They run deep. They've been going on a really long time. It's going to take a really long time to change. You know, you get all this, right? So, but I go home, I try my new tool that Abby taught me. And let's say my husband, you know, he's, he's picking up on that incongruity. He's picking up on the, the difference between what I'm saying and what I'm giving off. Just like everyone has been at work and somebody was talking and they were full of it and you could tell, but they were saying all the right things and you're just thinking, I don't trust this guy or I don't trust this person. Like, I just don't like that. You know, I, I just don't. That's your, that's that 11 million bits. <laughs> and so here you are. So now I'm, I'm the husband and I'm, I'm like, oh, she's acting nicer now, but let's see how long this lasts. So I'm not going to change. I'm not going to risk anything. She does her, my little setting intention tool for a week. Nothing changes. So she stops. So he's like, oh, see, good thing I didn't change. I knew it. I knew she was going to go back the way she was. She comes back to me and says, Abby, that tool doesn't work. And I'm like, uh-uh, <laughs> that tool works great. But you weren't aligned. And I, and I will, I'll start to probe. I'll say, what were you thinking? How, what do you think about this relationship? What do you believe? What do you, you know? And we start going there and sure enough, it's all right there. Well, really, it's this thing. If he won't change, really nothing's going to change. You can't change, you know. And that's, I named my book, Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing, on purpose, because it's the truth that you can change. It's not a manipulation. It is you changing your energy. And so something different comes back. And that's what happens. And so, but sometimes I'll have, so that same person maybe will, she'll say, well, how long do I have to do this? How long till I see a change? And I'm like, you're not going to if you have that idea because you're conditionally holding it. You're thinking until I, so if there's fear, you're having fear and people pick up on that and it's not congruent and they think you're lying somehow because you kind of are. You're saying, oh, I'm acting really nice, but if you don't act nice, I'm going to stop. So they know, they pick up, they don't know consciously, but again, that 11 million, it's working all the time. And we do it the other way, you know, when sometimes we'll say, well, he says he loves me, but I don't, I don't believe him. Mm. And it's like, well, what are you picking up on that you don't believe? Cause he's saying the words. So what is it that you don't believe? It's usually not about the actual love. It's about something else. It's about some, again, incongruity going on below the surface. And when we pick up on that stuff, we don't believe our partner has our best interests at heart. We think they're lying. We think something's off. And 
obviously you can't have trust. And if you can't have trust, you can't have vulnerability. And if you can't have vulnerability, you don't have a relationship. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. It just all goes in a line. So you do have to stop it right there. Like you were saying, like you have to, I, <laughs> I say a lot, if a, if a car is on top of a hill and it starts to roll, you don't want it to, you don't run to the bottom to stop it. You know, you're <laughs> going to get killed. You close to the top as possible. You know, you want to sort of stay in that positive. That's why the setting intention is so great. It's like keeping that kind of positive momentum going in little ways. And you can notice when there's a disturbance in the force, you know, you can kind of notice it much sooner, right? When something's going on. I know for sure I've been in the back of my house and, and Gary's come home and I've known he wasn't in a good mood. He didn't slam the door. He didn't say anything, but yeah, there was a disturbance in the forest. You know, there's some, you're like, mm, what's going on? That is your RES. That is those 11 million bits. That is your brain chemistry. Again, from a survival standpoint, that's why we mm-hmm. had to be that way. Mm-hmm. Knowing that something is amiss, something is off. And the problem is because we have a negativity bias, you can go down the crazy train trail and you have to be careful and you want to stop right there and start asking questions, not interrogating but asking open collaborative questions to find out sort of what is going on, right? What What's mm-hmm. really happening there. Uh, and that and that's really the key to it all. Yeah, I love that. And it's so funny that you said there's just a disturbance in the forest because we literally use that exact phrase <laughs> when something's a little off. Because mm-hmm. the thing is when you are used to, um, when yep. you tune into your emotions, when you recognize how you're feeling and you keep a clean slate, then yep. when there's one little thing, you really notice it, right? Glad. And that is what it feels like, a disturbance in the forest, because you're like, oh, there's this nice harmonious feeling happening all the time here. And then, oh, if there's anything else that comes up, fear, a judgment, uh, a doubt, it blocks the flow of love. Like you no longer just have yep. this clear channel and yeah, we, it's so funny. We use that same phrase. Oh, there's yep. a disturbance yep. in the force. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> check in here. I love yeah. it. And you know, a great check-in, I, I say a lot, don't sack your relationship, S-A-C. Don't offer suggestions, give advice, or criticize. Love that. And this is hard to do, trust me, especially Jewish mother. I always want to do it with my children, but um, it would vary. But you want to really think about this. So if you notice this disturbance, and a lot of times what we'll do is we'll diagnose it. Hey, you seem really angry. What's going on? Why are you, you, you're different right now. I can tell. And we're like attacking these people <laughs> and then wondering, it's like, well, no one wants to feel vulnerable in that situation, you know? Uh, and so do not diagnose, I call it diagnosing, you know, when we tell people what they are, what they're feeling or whatever. And instead, and don't offer, oh, do you, can I get you anything? Or, you know, have you thought about why you're upset? Or, you know, don't suggest anything. Don't give advice. And obviously it's critical to tell someone how they feel. So instead you want to ask these sort of open-ended questions, which, you know, might just be, um, is there anything, is there anything you need right now? I, I start with that a lot. And I'll look at the answer. And sometimes, you know, if someone's in a bad mood, they'll be like, no, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, I'm here if you need anything. Just let me know. You know, just open the door, open the door. I don't have to attack them. I don't have to do anything else. And when they do come, if they aren't, you know, still in a bad mood or something, again, you can stop and go and say something. Uh, How, you know, did anything happen to work today? (laughs) 
how was your day? Like what, did anything go on? Um, and, but don't get into, you don't seem like yourself. You seem mad, you know, and they might even say, why are you asking? And I usually turn that around. I'm like, why do you think I'm asking? And then they usually answer. They go, well, I think I, I am a little snippy. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you said it, not me. That's great. But there's a lot of ways to, when someone's even complaining about something or, you know, like Barb at work, you know, oh, Barb at work again. I hate her. And she did this thing and she's driving me crazy. It's, you don't have to offer suggestions, give advice or criticize. Why are you always complaining about Barb at work? Or why have you tried this? Have you talked to your boss? You know, you don't have to do any of that. You can just stop and connect. Wow, that Barb at work. Oh, she is just, I hate that she pisses you off so much. That sucks. Just just be there with the person. And then you can maybe ask them, you know, well, what have you, have you tried anything that's worked? Have you tried anything that hasn't, by the way, asking people if they've tried something that to share what hasn't worked, they love right. to share. People yeah. love sharing this, but it gets them talking. And then you can, you get rapport going and then you can say something else, but don't, People know. I, I had a woman the other day in the session. She was complaining about her weight, and her her fiance said, um, <laughs> "He's like, well, you know, I've told her that you know we could eat healthier, and that she should park her car farther away at the grocery store." And, and, and I said, oh, sweetie pie, oh, sweetie pie. And so I went to her and I said, "Do you know how to lose weight? Do you understand how the mechanics work?" And she's like, "Yes." I said, "I thought so." So I looked. At her, I was like, "Do you like what do you think you're doing? Do you think she doesn't know?" what that is, like how you lose weight. Do you think she has no idea? You know, again, he just, he, it's like this cluelessness. So if you want, you know, and I said to him, if you didn't offer suggestions or advice, if you didn't criticize her about it, what would you do? And he was like, he looked lost. Like I, I asked him to split the atom and he, he yes. just, and I, I said, think about it. Would you ask him, you know, Hey, can I, is there anything you need from me on this journey? I think you look amazing, but if there's anything you need, you let me know. Is there any way I can help you? That's it. Yeah. Your job is done. Your job is done. Look how much easier it is. You don't have to think of things. You let her think of things. She's very smart, you know, but this is how we get into that thing because we're uncomfortable and we want those feelings to go away. So we're trying to dismiss them or make them go away or fix it or, you know, and that's our own insecurity, but a great, but a great way to align is not to sack. Don't offer suggestions, give advice or criticize. That's great. Do not sack. No one wants to be sacked. <laughs> No, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. And you know, you said that, uh, we get uncomfortable, like when we're faced with negativity, when we can tell our partners not feeling right often, you know, we try to fix it because we, we care about them. We want them to feel better, of mm -hmm. course, but you know, there's no way out of those things, but through them. And trying to rush your partner through a challenging feeling is not a yep. helpful thing. So um, yeah. I find I find especially, I don't know if you find this too, that especially the dynamic um, men tend to need a little bit more time and space before they're ready to come around yep. and yep. talk about what they're actually feeling. And yep. I find this with Matt and I, even though he's very aware of his feelings and you know, we have conversations like this regularly. Um, so, but even with him, I can tell right away, oh, something's off. And I'll ask him, mm -hmm. oh, what's going on? You know, and he's like, oh, nothing. And I'm like, okay, give it five minutes. Okay. And yep. then he'll say, actually, there is something. <laughs> but he just needs a minute. And I uh -huh. think 
yeah, giving each other, having patience with each other, giving each other time to, because first we have to recognize what we're feeling before we're ready to, you know, talk about with our partner too. You you can't give anyone an aha. Yeah. So you can't, you know, come up with this. And I will say that most of the time we try to get the feeling to go away because it makes us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. We think, and this is men and women, that there's something wrong with what we're doing that they're uncomfortable. Yeah. And we don't like to sit with the uncomfortable feeling. We want to go away. We have uh, Maybe we're impatient. We have other things to do. I don't know what it is, but it is a selfish thing that generally, like, yeah, we want our partners to feel better, but I got to tell you, that's not the primary motivation. Mm-hmm. Primary motivation is our own discomfort. It's kind of like if someone's crying and people jump up to get them tissues. I've had that when I used to have people in the office, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 stop. It, it's an interruption, right? Here's this person feeling their feelings, doing their thing. And someone like their, their partner stands up and goes to find tissues and leaves the room. It's like, no, no, no. That is your discomfort. You are trying to fix it. You are trying to quiet it. She knows where the friggin' tissues are. She can get her own tissue. It's not loving to give somebody a tissue. I'm going to tell you, everyone right now, it's not loving to get a tissue. Just <laughs> be with them. The snot can be everywhere. It's okay. It's not going to kill you. Be in there. Don't interrupt the feeling and the momentum of the feeling and the emotion with a tissue. It's like, or getting up or getting them water. Do you need anything? Or should I get you? Or I hear that, you know, can I go get you something? Do you need anything? Should I get you some water? It's like, stop, just be quiet and be. But again, it's your own discomfort that you're doing that. It is not for your partner. It's for you. And if you really want to be there for your partner, sit in it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be in a bad mood, by the way. That's the other piece. And I know we're getting to the end, but I will say this. You're, where you are, should your energy, your quote unquote vibration should never be altered by someone else's. So that's on you. If mm-hmm. I hear people, well, I was in a good mood and then he came home in a bad mood. So then I, why? Why didn't he calibrate to your good mood? Why, why did the bad mood win? So you're, you're, he's not responsible for your good mood or your bad mood. You are. And, or I have, you know, someone says, oh, I have to go talk to my sister today. It's going to be terrible. It's going to, you know, I always feel bad when I leave. I'm like, that's on you if you feel bad when you leave. That's not hard. That's you, your boundaries, all kinds of things. But really having your calibration intact, really doing that intention setting, really getting clear before you enter. So yeah, if when, you know, if Gary, he's, my man is also always in a good mood. He, he's very good with that. But if he's not, I... I also don't, I don't get, I don't go kiss his butt like, oh, it's okay. It's everything. You know, that's fear-based. I, I just stay loving and open and I have to really focus on that because that's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard when you're not, it's easy to be loving when they're loving. It's not easy to be loving when people aren't being loving, but that's really what love is, is that's, that's where the rubber hits the road. So I have to check in with myself. I have to make sure I got, you know hug your dog, do whatever you got to do, call your girlfriend, you know, do what you got to do to stay in that space of being really loving and receptive and open and not being a doormat, you know, again, not going to a fear-based side, but also not getting caught up in the anger or the just whatever's going on. And that's really what your partner needs anyway. Mm-hmm. They need that. Where, again, you're a shared resource. They're hurting. You need to stay up, right? You need to be in that good space. It's interesting because if somebody, if you found out, God forbid, your partner had cancer, you would not fall apart with them in the room. You'd be the rock. You'd be like, okay, I got to really be here. I'm going to keep myself. I'm going to work on this one, go support group and do all these things. For some reason, our mental health, we don't get the same grace. We don't Mm. get the same love. We don't get it the same way. 
we get this judgmental, like, what are you doing? Oh, and, and this discomfort and all this upset. And you're uncomfortable and upset if your partner has cancer. Trust me, it sucks. But you're not taking it out on them. And so there is this thing. I, I So I tell people, think of it that way then in your head. If that'll help you get where your frame should be, then do that. You be there for them. You find a way. And again, doesn't mean you're a doormat or, you know, if they have cancer and say, well, I'm not going to do anything. And I'm not going to talk about it. You don't allow that. You're like, well, maybe not right now, but eventually we're going to talk about it. You know, you, you would be engaged in the process. And for some reason we don't do it with mental health and we really, really should. It's God, God knows a lot more common. Yeah. I love that. And I love how you say, you know, that's what real love is, is when, when you can stay open and loving no matter what your partner is feeling. And that that's a practice. That is something that, you know, it's like lifelong practice right there. (laughs) And, you know, I love that, um, you know, if your partner is experiencing challenging emotion and you feel the discomfort to want to go and get a glass of water or soothe them or get a tissue, that's a cue right there to check in and go, okay, this is bringing up something in me. Why is this so uncomfortable for me to witness? And mm-hmm. I I find like no anytime one of us is going through something, there's a learning opportunity there for the other one of us. We <sighs> we love to call it quantum entanglement because <laughs> like yep. in quantum physics or the particles, yep. Yep. one turns and the other yep. one turns. One turns, the other one does it. Yes, yeah. they care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we always find, yeah, if one of us is going through something like, this is relationship as a path of growth, right? Where we're committed to uh, growing through every experience. So if you're experiencing something, let me check in on why is this uncomfortable for me? And I'm going to learn yeah. something too. And we we both support each other in that. Yeah. yeah love I that. love it. It's right on the money, right on the money. Yeah. So great. Oh my gosh. I feel like we have a million more things we can talk about. <laughs> We've just scratched the surface. <laughs> Um, okay, let me ask you one question, though, before we start to wrap up. Um, I'm curious, in your 35 years of working with couples, what are some of the most common unconscious beliefs that you find are getting in the way in relationships? Mm. It depends on the background, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the, the biggest ones are somehow that we're not in some way, people talking to themselves that they're not worthy of whatever's happening. And then the other side is that you really can't trust anyone but yourself. That is the other really, and that comes out again in different ways. And it, it comes out a lot again in that like kind of separateness where um, uh, we're both like, uh, oh, I just spoke to someone earlier today who talked about how she had some mental health stuff with her partner. and. and was talking to her partner and it was stuff she had to kind of work through, which is true. It was hers, but he was like, okay, you go work that out. Right. And she felt that was right. She's like, yeah, it's on me. I got to work it out. It's my responsibility. And I'm like, well, yes, it is your responsibility, but it is something again within the couple. And, and again, use the cancer analogy. Would you like, oh yeah, you got to work, go work out that cancer. Good luck. You know, see you soon. I, I don't think so. You, you would, again, you can't do it for them, but you would find ways to support your person through it. And you would ask what they need. Wouldn't you? What a nice thing. So, it, but it's that we don't trust somehow 
we don't feel, again, there's a combo there. Like we don't feel worthy maybe of asking for so much from people so much. It's not, but we don't. And then on that other side, there's something about the trust. We just, and most of this comes from the belief stem from this, uh, what we call, you know, insecure attachment, which is this, uh, I know you've talked about, you know, this uh, anxious and avoidant attachment styles that people have. Um, I can't remember if you've talked about it on the podcast, haven't you? Not specifically with that language. Okay. Similar okay. ideas, yeah. So, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, attachment. It's really how your caregivers took care of you when you were young, whoever that was. And if you develop a secure attachment, we know from the research that you go and cre- become an adult who has secure attachment with your partner, meaning you don't get jealous. There's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of back and forth. You feel loved. You don't need constant approval or reassurance, none of that stuff. Uh, the insecure attachment styles is really kind of two. One is anxious. And that's when, you know, you're always looking for reassurance. You can never kind of fill that up. You're, you you want to be together all the time. You never believe when they say they love, you know, you're always sort of kind of chasing them, you know, in some way, in this kind of clingy way. And on whatever level that is for you, uh, usually gets very codependent in there. And then there's an avoidant attachment style, which is you learned uh, from your caregivers some way that they couldn't, they couldn't soothe you. That was up to you. Somehow you got some sort of neglect for you as a person. It doesn't mean you had an abusive home or anything like that. Just you, you know, birth order, gender, all the things for you, you didn't get what you needed to feel secured and loved. And so you become sort of avoidant and you keep your problems to yourself. You don't share a lot. You can walk away kind of easily from things uh, you compartmentalize quite a bit. You can really compartmentalize all the things. Something can be horrible at work. You never share it with your partner because it's like, well, I'm home. Why would I share that with you? That's work. You know, it's just completely all there. And all of them are really at their base about not trusting, not trusting that I can get the love and the care that I need to feel truly accepted from the people around me. And I will tell you that it is not about unconditional love. It is about unconditional acceptance. We do, we, you don't feel loved if you don't feel accepted. Mm-hmm. If I tell my mom I'm gay and she says, well, I love you, but I don't agree with that. You know, I don't, I don't like the gay thing. I don't feel loved. She doesn't accept me for who I am. She's loving some other thing. That's not me. So therefore she doesn't love me. And so you can say you love me all day. So when we look at our partners and we're always trying to change them and we're letting them know that they need that, you know, our version of their being gay, right, that they somehow are not doing it the way they should or could, we are telling them that we don't love them. And doesn't, I know it cannot, you know, I hear people all the time, well, I love them. I love him, but he does this thing. And it's like, you know, I'm someone who has, <laughs> I have a ton of energy. I have this all the time. It's annoying. It can be annoying. <laughs> it can be wonderful because I get crap done, but you can imagine it gets a little on the, on the plus side, you know, <laughs> it's great. And on the minus side, I can be a little much. I, I, I can be a little extra. And very early on in the, my relationship with Gary, it was like, you can't just love this other part of my exuberance, like the good part where you get good stuff. You got to love them both. Yeah. You don't love me despite the fact that sometimes it bugs you. You love you you embrace the whole thing. It's all of me. You, you know, so I don't have to feel otherwise I would have to feel like I have to do it right all the time to get your love. 
So, you know, finding that space to, it doesn't mean you like it all the time. You know, It just means you're like, oh, there she goes. Oh, she's going down crazy town. Okay. What am I going to do here? You know, and not think, not looking at me with contempt about it. Not, not feeling like, ugh, I hate, which is so embarrassing, ugh, you know, and getting into that. So really think of that with your partner, anyone listening, how do you, do they know that they're fully accepted? Do you embrace all of them? Doesn't mean you don't want things to change. Doesn't mean you wouldn't like a little less or more of something. It doesn't mean you can't grow. It means that as things are now, who they are, how who you are, you are in full acceptance. And that's really how you don't have competition, how you really come together, how you are a shared resource, how everyone feels like they're on the plate together and they get it. And, the, and it's, it's the two of you you know, and then the world's out there, you know, and it's a wonderful thing. To me, it's the whole reason to get married, right? Mm-hmm. For, some, for someone to be that big yes that you know you can always count on. That's, yeah. Why else do it? It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. So much. Yes. To all of that. I love that so much. I think that is really a great way to sum up the practice of being in relationship is like the continual practice. Can I accept I mean and just life in general can I accept things as they are right now right yep not arguing yep. with reality as Byron Katie would say just yes. really going this is what is I'm not going to waste my energy fighting it I'm not going to bring myself down by arguing with it let me just love things as they are right now easier said yep. than done but a very uh, worthy yep. lifelong yep. challenge yes <laughs> yes. Yeah. And one more thing to add on that, the, um, you know, when we notice our partner doing something, some behavior or something that we don't love, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, we could choose to be critical about it and feel down about it. Or we could interrupt it with humor, with playfulness. Yep. yep. So like you said, it doesn't mean you don't want thing. you don't want you know, more or less of something, or you don't want to grow, you don't want to change in some way. But if you first say yes, a full wholehearted yes to this is how things are right now, what would be a fun way to interrupt this? And how could we do it differently next time? Right? So great. Oh, I love it. I love it. Perfect. So I have one final question that I like to ask everybody. What is one habit that our listeners could install to have a more amazing relationship? Oh, yeah. First thing, when you wake up in the morning, first thing, you need to make sure that your first thought is, that's your first thought for the day. That's the momentum you're going to bring through the day. Again, stop the car on top of the hill. So if your first thought is, I didn't get enough sleep, it's not enough. I'm not enough. I'm tired. Oh, this sucks. It's, no. You can't have that. You right there have to stop. Put a sticky on your alarm. Don't press that snooze. Don't get me started about the snooze. Oh, yeah. Uh, no but place it makes you snooze. more tired later and all that. But whatever you have to do, take just a few seconds in bed. If you have to sit up, that's okay. If you're worried about falling back asleep. But either way, do not leave the bed without really appreciating just having, again, like 18 seconds. It's not long to just appreciate. And something, how warm the sheets feel, 
uh, how nice and smooth they are. Uh, Gary's very warm and I'm cold, so I can feel his warm back maybe, or uh, I might look at something in the room that I love. Oh, that picture we took on vacation. I remember how great that was. And just, just take that moment. I'm telling you, all things change. You start that positive momentum. And again, that keeps your calibration high. So other things are coming to you. To you're, They're meeting you instead of you always chasing and meeting it. And that is really, you want to be the warm light in your life and everyone else's light. Like that's your thing, right? And people love to come warm their hands by the fire, man. It's cold out there. <laughs> so, and for yourself to feel warmed from the inside. And so that's the one thing you wake up every day. First thing, first, first, first thing. You don't think another thought. If you catch yourself in the night, just pull it back. Just, just savor it like you would like a butterscotch in your mouth just for a few seconds and then go do your shower or your day or whatever's next. I love that. That is a wonderful habit. And I think I generally, you know, I have my morning routine and I generally start off very positively, but I'm going to make sure I do this before I even get out of bed yep, intentionally, intentionally, yep. you know, really feel that gratitude before I get out of bed. So I yep. love that. Thank you. Great. You're welcome. Well, Abby, it has been such a treat chatting with you. I feel like we could talk for five more hours. Good. <laughs> yeah, we just came to the surface, but it's been a great conversation. I'm sure our listeners will get some great nuggets out of this. Um, where would be a great place for people to find you if they want to learn more about you and your work? Yeah, everything is housed on the website. So abbymedcalf.com. I'm sure you'll put it in your show notes and it's just a-B-B-Y-M-E-D-C-A-L-F.com. And my social media you can find there, the podcast. Uh, we're coming into, like I said, our fourth season and we're in 136 countries now. I mean, nice. it's just, it's really awesome. Yeah, I'm really Congrats. so proud of it. Um, and uh, my book, you know, all the things, just lots of free resources there, really free. It's not, I'm not sketchy. I'm, it's not a scam. There's really free resources in the blog. <laughs> I mean, it goes on and on the YouTube channel. It's all housed on the website. So go there first and then you can go hunt around and find the things you like. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much and have a fantastic rest of your day. Uh, thank you for having me. It was wonderful. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and a review and share it with the people that you care about because we can all use a little more love in our lives. Until next time.